The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Perfect, but we want to welcome you here today. Uh, and if this is your first time to our church, we want to say a huge welcome to you. Uh, we're so thankful that you came here through the doors and hopefully you've had a great experience um, thus far. But we are starting a brand new series today uh, that we're, we're calling Not a Hostage. We're talking about for the next four weeks um, what it means to overcome, uh, what it looks like to overcome, and how God gives us freedom through different things that we face in our lives. And so we're going to be working through that here in just a moment. I'm going to grab this podium because I got a couple things I need to bring out for today. One of the cool things that's happening right now in our church that we're super excited about is we're gearing up for the fall. Uh, One of the cool things that's going on in Grove Kids right now, not only are they having a a luau party, but here during the summertime, we're averaging about 50 kids that are filling up those spaces um, there in our kind of choir room and black box room back there where where you drop off your kiddos for uh, kids church. And it's awesome. These are great problems to be having, but nevertheless, they're they're problems that we have to address come fall. And so I'm just going to ask that you would pray as a church as we gear up to really make some changes this fall in those Grove Kids spaces. We're looking to reconfigure some of those rooms to where our elementary kids are going to be actually upstairs here behind the auditorium with their gigantic space up there that we're going to make specifically for Grove Kids to experience worship and teaching and kind of have an environment for them. We're also looking at moving um, all of our preschoolers out of that toddler room. So we'll have a designated room just for uh, the little ones, the walkers and the crawlers, and then have a designated room for preschoolers. And so it requires uh, purchasing of new items, requires making space in our trailer. And I just ask that you just pray as we gear up for this. We're looking at launching all these new spaces on Sunday, September 29th. Um, that'll get us, get us into the fall here and get us planning for those things. And so come that Sunday, uh, things are going to look a little bit different, even how you check in your kids, how you pick up your kids. Because again, we're growing, families are coming, and we want to make room for those kids. Can I hear an Amen. One of the cool things that happened this morning, and uh, he's kind of the hero around here, but a lot of us don't know him. His name's Kramer. He's the technician that kind of makes this place happen for us. And I was chatting with him this morning, and we were upstairs uh, in this auditorium kind of space behind here talking about elementary. And I said, hey, man, I said, you know, we're, we're looking at probably building a stage so that we can have an environment for these elementary kids. And we're probably going to need to buy some new TVs and TV stands and look to figure out what we're going to do to place these here or there. And he's like, He's like, yeah, well, you know, when it comes to TVs, um, we'll just mount them for you on the wall, and they'll just stay there all week for you. I'm like, that's awesome. And he's like, yeah, and when it comes to like a platform or a stage, you know, we have those here, and they're like eight by three, and they come together, and we'll just get those out for you, and we can just leave them up there and uh, make it happen because we want to make it a win for you with elementary. So it's just like awesome things happening, right, even this morning. So pretty encouraged to know that God's going to take care of the needs that we have here as a church So super excited about it, be in prayer about those things. Well, like I said, we start a new series today. And one of the things about this series that I kind of want to start off with is um, before I was in ministry, and even sometimes every now and then when I'm getting the itch, I painted houses. I, I worked uh, summer jobs throughout my college years, painting ex, you know, exteriors, interiors, and I actually love painting. There's something really cool about the transformation that happens on a house when you paint it. And so I've worked for a variety of different people, and I've done a variety of different types of painting, but 
probably my favorite is exterior painting because you can see something on the outside that just looks, you know, terrible and horrendous and ugly. And then a little bit of work, a little bit of prep, a little bit of time, and you see the transformation of that. And so one of the cool things about painting is painting is all about the preparation. And if you've done any painting, you'll, you'll know what I mean. But painting is, is literally all about the preparation. And it matters on what kind of house you're painting and how old it is and what it looks like. But I got a couple of illustrations to kind of illustrate the importance of the preparation. In, in painting, especially in old home, when you first look at the house, sometimes you can't just pressure wash the house. Sometimes there's paint on there that's so old and so bad that you have to get out a good old scraper, all right? This is where the real, the rubber meets the road right here, okay? This is a wire brush, and uh, every now and then on houses that are old and, and you need to basically remove that paint, you got to get onto that surface and you got you to get all that nasty stuff off of it. And here's the thing, it requires a ton of work. In fact, if most of the house needs to be scraped, it's, in my opinion, the worst part of painting, okay? It's not fun, it looks disgusting, half the wall and the siding is ugly and getting down back to the bare wood, and even just the sound of this is annoying, and it gets all in your face and it falls everywhere, and it's just gross, but it requires this. If you neglect to scrape off the, the old nasty paint on a house that really does it, what ends up happening is it's never going to look good when you go to put on that first, second, and third coat. you got to get down and do the hard work of scraping down to the bare wood if you're, if you're going to make something look great. The other thing that happens a lot of times when you do painting is uh, I got a little Windex bottle here that kind of represents my pressure washer because I don't want to carry that on stage today. But every house needs a good pressure washing. It needs a good cleaning. Okay, and so sometimes you can get away with not scraping if the house isn't too old and it's been taken care of, but every house you always pressure wash prior to painting and you let it dry for at least, you know, three or four days. Part of this is that every house gets cobwebs and gets dirt and grime and yuck. And so when you pressure wash it, you're getting all that stuff removed from the house. Here, here's what happens if you don't pressure wash. When you go to paint, your paint job, it looks nice when you're looking at it from a distance. But when you get up close, all that dirt and grime just comes through onto the surface. So you always have to pressure wash, clean off everything on the house. The last thing that happens is obviously the painting. And if you're smart and you know what you're doing and you've been advised properly, you always do more than one coat. I mean, it's just the, the typical thing that if you want to do a great job on a house, one coat is not going to be suffice. In fact, if you're getting down to scraping and you're going to be scraping down to bare wood, they actually recommend you like prime it and maybe even prime it a second time before you then do the top coat and the, the, you know, the main color that you're choosing to do. In the painting business, if you're a painter, if you've painted your own house or you've done it on the side, Nobody looks at a house as a painter, goes up to a house inside, outside, and goes, you know, this, is, this house cannot look good. It's just, it basically, it will never be transformed. No, no one has that kind of perspective. You always look at a house when you paint something. When you're painting, you look at it, and you envision what it could be. You believe it can be transformed. You believe that with preparation and hard work and a little bit of time and sacrifice, this house, old, new, whatever year it is, can be transformed. Nobody as a painter, as a homeowner, looks at that and says, you know, this is something that can't be transformed. Jesus said it this way, everyone then 
who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus is using this image here today of us being a house, our lives being a house. And when it comes to an actual physical building like a house, you and I would agree that we believe in the transformation of it. We believe it can change. We believe it can look incredible, that it can go from death to life. It can go from old to new, new life and new growth and something beautiful can become of it. However, when it comes to our lives, if we're honest, we struggle so much with believing that we can change, that we can change something in our lives. In fact, a lot of times what happens in our lives is we get stuck. We get stuck with a certain bondage or a certain issue, and we struggle with some of the same sins, temptations, or issues, and attitudes for years, and we're held hostage by those things. And the thinking sometimes goes like this. In the same way we talk about a, a grandfather's house or a parent's house, sometimes we, we create excuses for some of these things that have held us down. We say something like, well, you know, this was my grandfather's house. You know, th- this, is how my, this is how my parents were. Well, I, I got, I, I'm like this way because my family was like this way. Right? I do these things because this was how it was taught. And we at times make excuses For whatever thing that holds us down, whether it be house depression or house anxiety or house fear or worry, whether it be an addiction to a substance or just a critical spirit, we tend to make excuses for why we can't change. And our culture kind of gives into this kind of thinking that basically you are who you are and you can never change. Basically, you were born a certain way with certain habits and certain hang-ups and certain struggles and certain problems, and because of your family and because of your generation of who your family was and how you were raised and where you grew up, you're always going to be this way. So just face the reality, this is who you are. That's what culture would teach us today. The problem is that Christianity teaches the very opposite, that with Christ, you and I have the power to be set free. That with Christ, you and I have the power to be set free and redeemed and become an overcomer who no longer struggles with the things that once held us back. And so as Christians and as followers of Christ, what we believe about ourselves is very important. It means we have to look through the lens of what Scripture teaches us and realize that because of what Christ has done on the cross, because of his forgiveness, because of his healing, because of his transforming work, I'm no longer a victim. I'm no longer having to be struggling with certain things. I can have freedom. I can be whole. I can be different. I can change. I will change by God's grace and mercy. 
The Apostle Paul says it best in, in Romans 8, where I want to be today. And I want to give you a little bit of background to kind of what Paul is going to talk about here in Romans 8. And it's a little bit theological and, and a little confusing at times to understand. I want to try to do my best to explain what he's saying here. But Paul is writing to Christians in Rome, and he's trying to get them to understand that there's now new life in the Spirit. That what Christ came when he died and rose again, he came to abolish and fulfill the Old Testament law. And now these rules and this legal code and this thing that you've been following for all this time, Christ is now the final mediator or the final substitute on the cross in dealing with sin. He wanted them to understand that there was a transforming power that was taking place in their hearts when they accepted Christ. He wanted them to understand that now there was going to be this battle between living by the Spirit or living by the flesh. It was going to be difficult to take on this new identity and there was going to be times where the flesh, temptations and sins were going to try to creep their way back into your new life in Christ and therefore you had to choose God's Spirit and His power in your life versus these fleshly desires. But it's going to take work on our parts. We're going to pick it up in, in Romans 8 here. It says, There is there, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now here's the difference between the two. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is where it gets really good here. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Lastly here, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's pray today for God's word. God, I thank you today that we are overcoming.
God, I thank you today that we can overcome. God, I thank you today that in the same way a house can transform, God, our lives as a house can be transformed. And I thank you, Lord, that your word is going to speak once again life into our hearts and our souls today. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. So what Paul is trying to get our heads wrapped around here is that we, when once we, before we were followers of Christ, we lived by the temptations and the flesh and the sin, and those are the things that entangled our lives. But now we're living by the Spirit. We're living by this new identity, this new way of thinking, this new life. And I love where he says here in verse 1, Now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What Paul is saying is that now, because of what Christ has done, we can be set free from feeling like we somehow have to please God and measure up when we know we can't. Paul is saying that when Christ came, he fulfilled the law and set you and I free. So now, therefore, we can be free from this law and this slavery of trying to prove our worth. He's saying Christ has now come. We no longer live by this flesh. He goes on here in verses 2 through 4. He says, for what God has done with the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All Paul's trying to teach us here is that Christ has fulfilled the law. He was the final sacrifice, the final lamb. He has fulfilled the law, and now you and I can walk according to the Spirit because of what Christ has done. He makes some pretty strong statements here in Romans 5 through 8. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Paul is saying that when you and I set our minds on the flesh, it's going to create major pain in our lives. It's going to create discomfort. It's going to create displeasure. It's going to create this death. Paul is saying that when we set our minds on the flesh, it means that we think continually about and constantly desire the things of fallen nature, of sinful human nature. It's to think just the way the unbelieving world thinks, emphasizing what it thinks is important, pursuing what it pursues, and disregards of God's will. So if we think about this here, to set our mind on the flesh and to think that the way people who don't know Christ think, to think of the flesh, to know that that leads to death, it makes you think then, well, how does the world think? How does the flesh think? What will be the opposite of, the, of a spirit-led thinking? Well, right now in our world today, the way our culture views how we should live is, is basically a, a sum of these different points. Number one, it's just do what feels good. If you're going to live by the flesh and you're going to live by your desires and not by the desires that God has placed, then just do what feels good. If it feels good, do it. Or follow your heart because it will never fail you. 
Basically, whatever's feeling is motivating you, whatever desire you have, go ahead and act on it because that is your true north and your heart is the thing that you should listen to when anything comes your way because your heart will never deceive you. This is how the world thinks. Follow your feelings. If you feel it, go ahead and act upon it because that's the best route. You can't change. Just accept that you are this way. You are going to always deal with this issue. Stay the same. Stay complacent. Stay in bondage. Stay in hostage. This is who you are. Accept it. Move on and deal with the consequences because you will not change. This is how the culture of today thinks. This is the communication we see all over. And yet, Paul is saying to you and I today that when we live this way, when we live according to the flesh, when we live according to our desires, it ultimately leads to death. It ultimately leads to bondage, being in hostage, and full of decay. He goes on to say, but the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. What, what is the spirit? What is the mind set on the spirit? What, what am I doing with my mind to be filled with the spirit? Well, I, I think a great place to start would be the fruit of the spirit. That my mind is set on love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and, and goodness and self-control. What does it mean to be filled with the spirit? It means I, I tend to think of my decision and my life based on what God is saying to me and what his scripture is leading me to. And I'm led by his spirit and I'm guided by the word and I'm guided through what he's asking me to do. It means that maybe my feelings are telling me to do one thing, but is that what God is asking me to do? Sometimes it, sometimes it means, you know, I, I, I feel like this is the, the right thing I should be doing here, but is this what the scripture teaches on this situation. This mind set on the spirit is gonna give us life and bring us peace. He goes on here to talk about the power of God's spirit in our lives. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, what he's saying here is that in our flesh, in our own strength, in our own weakness, and in our own depravity, we cannot change. Can't. You don't have the willpower or the gut to be able to change on your own. The encouraging thing about today, if we're going to overcome temptation and sin, is Paul is saying that when you gave your life to Christ and you put your faith in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, you were given the Spirit of God. He implanted his Holy Spirit inside of you, and now you have the power. Now you have the ability. Now you have the strength to believe that you can change and these things do not need to continue to hold you down. 
He says the same power that rose Christ from the dead on Easter Sunday is the same power that lives in you and me. And so we can agree with the world in one sense and say, you know what? We can't change. We can't change by ourselves. We can't change in our own strength. We can't change unless we look to the cross and accept Christ and who he is. And when we do so, the Holy Spirit shows us that there is hope and that we can change, that we can have life, that we can have purpose, that we can be different. My favorite part here is towards the end here. He says, so then, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, it goes even deeper than just that we have the Holy Spirit when we accepted Christ. It's even stronger than that. We sang about it today, and we'll talk about it in a moment, how God even planned that. But it's even bigger than that, that when we accept Christ into our lives, he gives us the Holy Spirit to infuse us to live this Christian life. But then he says, but now you and I are not slavery to sin anymore. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We're not in bondage anymore. We're not in hostage anymore. We're not in decay anymore. We have been set free. We're sons and daughters. We're sons and daughters of God. We live by the Spirit. We put to death the deeds of the flesh and the body. And now we are adopted into God's family. We're his children. We can live according to his direction in our lives. We can be free. We can change. We can overcome. But if we're going to live by the Spirit and choose to overcome temptations and sins that try to entangle us, it's going to take some serious work on our part. It's going to take serious work on our part if we're going to change. It's not that we accept Christ and now we're sons and daughters and it requires no work on our part. It actually requires a ton of work on our part to actually see change happen in our lives. See, for some of us here today, there are things in your life that you've dealt with, struggles and temptations and sins, and they're, 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 they're deep. They're actually been there for a long time. They're, they're like an old house. They've been in your life and in your heart for a long time. And for some of us in here today, it is time to get out the scraper. Because here's the problem. For some of us here, it's bigger than just, you know, a little bit of a cleaning and just a little bit of a surface thing. No, for some of us here, we're going to have to get to the root source of what is holding me back, what is causing me this fear, what is causing this anxiety? What is causing this depression? And I gotta get to the root of that source, of where this came from and why it's there. If I think that if I just accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I have the Holy Spirit, and I think that's all I need to do, here's what's happening. You're just painting. You're just painting over an old house, and you're not dealing with the root. Someone said it like this, if we lost one of our arms and we, before Christ, let's say we lost one of our arms in an accident before we gave our life to Christ. If we put our faith in Christ, most of us logically would believe it's not like God's just going to grow our arm back. 
We're now gonna be a Christian that has one arm. It's just, it was an accident that happened. But yet, a lot of times what we believe when it comes to our internal struggles is that when we give our life to Christ, that somehow all those things that have happened in our lives are somehow just gonna go away. And it doesn't work that way. In fact, it requires a tremendous amount of effort to live by the Spirit of God. We have to go to the deep places of our lives to find wholeness, forgiveness, and healing. We can't just cover it up. For, for some, when we're talking about scraping, for some, it does. It requires uh, therapy or counseling. It's, it's so taboo at times to even talk about this in church because we just tell people to pray about it. Oh, you, you should just pray about it. You should just pray and just, God will set you free. Just pray about it. Just have your, have your friends anoint you with oil and pray for you and you'll be set free. Can I be honest with you that there's sometimes really deep rooted things that happen in our lives and sometimes we gotta get around somebody who's objective to be able to process what is the reason behind this obstacle, behind this struggle, what is the core of that and where can I find freedom from that and that takes time and effort. You can sit here today and say, I don't even have time to do counseling. I can't afford therapy. Aren't you a pastor? Can't you counsel me? No. No, I can't. I, mean, I can encourage you, but I'm not a counselor. So these people are gifted people. I've seen them. And they ask questions. And it feels like this sometimes. It does. But they get to the deep core of what it is that is hurting and causing us to be held hostage. And sometimes we need that. In fact, you have permission from your pastor to go see one and tell me about it. And I'll be so proud of you for it because there's so much shame when we tell people, well, I'm seeing therapy. And you're like, oh, oh you're one of those people. <laughs> you, know? you got real issues. There's, just, there's no shame in recognizing that there's deep things in our hearts. If we're gonna live by the spirit of God, there's deep things in our hearts that sometimes have to come out through talking to someone. For, for, for some under this scraping here, for some it, it, it may be an honest conversation with some close friends that can speak truth into your life. The, the, the big problem with that sometimes is whether or not you accept the truth that they wanna tell you, right? You sometimes ask someone an opinion about a decision you're gonna make and they tell you don't do it, but in your mind, you're still gonna do it. So, so sometimes our decisions and our choices, even when we have honest friends, sometimes we don't even listen to those people. At the same time, you better believe that God calls you and I to hold each other up and accountable to be able to not continue to remain hostage in these things and whatever they are. So yeah, God can use people and friends and life group leaders and family and pastors and all those people to speak truth into your life. Sometimes it requires a drastic change in order for lasting change to happen. I remember dealing with a, a couple years ago where uh, an affair happened in their marriage and it was with uh, the receptionist at his work. And I remember sitting down with them and they, you know, they were trying to reconcile and trying to be made whole and, and, there, and, and for there to be forgiveness and healing there. And I remember, I remember asking the gentleman, well, sir, does that gal still work there? Yeah, she does. Well, do you, do you still see her every day? Yeah, I walk by her desk every day. Well, what's going on here? If, if you want to have a whole marriage and you want to be healthy and you want to be reconciled, you need to go get a different job. It's time to make a drastic change. You can sit and go, well, that, that's my benefits. That's my 401k, whatever. 
does it matter? If you're looking to make a change and you're trying to get to the root of something to not be held hostage anymore, it means you need to make a drastic change so that you can be a whole person. So, so some of us have to get to these core things in our lives. I think for all of us, but some, maybe, maybe it's not as deep a, a temptation or sin that we struggle with. Maybe it's not a core thing like that where we've had a habit of something for years. Maybe for some, it, it is the, the, the pressure washing kind of illustration. It is the cleaning of our minds. It's in the same way a pressure washer cleans off the, the dirt and the muck and the yuck. Maybe we need to clean our minds more often. Romans 12 deals with this. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may be able to discern what is pleasing and good to the Father. But, but what we, you and I have to do is we have to regularly clean our minds. We have to regularly remind ourselves I'm not always going to be this way. We have to regularly remind ourselves, I'm not a victim. We have to regularly clean our minds and remind ourselves, I need to take responsibility for my actions. I need to change. I need this or that in my life. I need to think differently. I need to meditate on the word of God. I need to memorize scripture. I need to think through who I am in Christ. I need to renew my mind if I'm going to let go and not be in bondage and be held back by anything. If I'm going to be an overcomer, i got to have a clean mind and believe that by God's power, I can change. By God's power, I will not always be this way. By God's power, I'm overcoming. By God's power, I can be set free. By God's power, Change is coming in my life. And then the, and then the last one all of us need is, is we, we need more than one coat in our lives. We need the word of God daily painting over our lives and our houses. We need God's family painting over our lives constantly. We need godly friends painting over our lives constantly. We need his word painting over our lives constantly. We need to be in prayer painting over our lives constantly. If we're going to live by the Spirit, if we're not going to live to temptation, if we're not going to be held hostage, we have to constantly be in God's presence, be in Christian community, be in with relationship with the right people. It's always amazing to me when you see people who stop attending a service or stop being a part of the family of God. Is that ever a good decision? Like, you never see anything good happen of that. You never, you never see people make good decisions after walking away from Christian community. Why? Because in, in a funny way, man, we, we need each other's colors. We need each other to encourage one another. We need each other to build each other up. We can't do this on our own. If we're going to be people that overcome these habits, these hang-ups, these things that have held us back, then we've got to replace it with, with the right things and the right people and the right circumstances. See, I believe with all my heart here today that there's people here who you've been told, you're always going to be this way. You're always going to struggle with that. I'm here to tell you, that's not how God sees you today. That's not, that's not God's view of you today. I believe there's people here today that there's things at the core of you that maybe not a lot of people know about and you're ashamed to talk about them. But I'm here to tell you, 
Man, there's great freedom when, when light is brought onto those dark places of our lives. There's such something so healing and transforming when you tell someone else about the struggles and the things that have held you captive for so long. It's like this burden and this weight that you've been carrying all on your own is being lifted because you finally brought someone else in and expressed, hey, I've been going through this and nobody knows, but I want to be free from this. I don't want to be a hostage anymore. I don't want to be in bondage. I want to live by the Spirit. I want to have a mind that's set on life and peace. I was listening to the song today, All Morning, No Longer a Slave, and I had no idea it was our playlist today, and the worship team is going to make their way up here today, but I had no idea that we were going to be singing this song today, but I think it's just so fitting to sing a song that says, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Like that's, just a, that, that's it right there for you and I today. I, I'm no longer a slave to fill in the blank. I am a child of God. That, that is who I am. I, I'm, no, I'm no longer a hostage to fill in the blank. I am a child of God. And I can change. By God's power, I can be set free. By God's grace, my future is bright. By God's amazing trick transforming power, I will no longer be this way. I believe that's for someone here today. So if you bow your heads with me here this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to a message like this. And I obviously don't know all of your stories. I don't know everything that you're facing here today, but I do believe with all my heart that God is in the business of bringing freedom and wholeness to your life today. And if you, as you sit here today and you hear a message by living by the Spirit, you hear about what it takes to, to be set free, to be an overcomer, and you sit here today and go, you know, there's just something that I've dealt with for a long time. I, I'm afraid to admit it. Not a lot of people know about it, but I, I want freedom. I want wholeness. I want healing. I want, I want to be set free. I want to no longer be a hostage to this thing that's held me back. And if that's you today and you're just going to admit it today, first step is just to admit, man, I have a problem, I have an issue, and I've got to find the help I need. And I'm telling you today, that first step is admitting it today. If that's you today, you say, you know, that's me, man. I want you to pray for me. I just want you to lift up your hand in this place. I'm going to pray for you today. I see your hands. Thank you so much. See your hands. I'm going to pray for these individuals whose hands are up. God, I thank you today that the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives inside of us. And God, for those here today, God, who are saying, Lord, I need to be free from this. I need to be made whole. I thank you, God, that by your power, they can be free. They can overcome. They can change. I thank you, Jesus, God, that they are daughters and sons of you. And I pray that freedom would begin to take place in their lives, God. Openness would begin to take place in their lives. Wholeness would begin to take place in their lives. 
Set them free today, God. And I pray here today, God, that every other person in this place, maybe they didn't raise their hand, I pray today, God, that you would, God, help us to view one another in a way that says, I, I, I believe you can change. I see your future, it's bright. I see God working in your life. You are different. God is at work. Things will change. Help us to have that perspective for each other, God. In your good name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.